15, if you would. And I appreciate your faithfulness to come back to church, even though you're always here earlier today and all that stuff. And uh, I sure hope that none of our services are taken lightly. That's a little bit more relaxed on Sunday nights. I kind of enjoy Sunday nights. Uh, I enjoy Wednesday nights, too. And I, and I feel like Sunday mornings have their special spot, but they're all a little different, you know, aren't they? And, uh, but every one of them is important, and so I, I really want to try to be a blessing to you tonight. And uh, this is some neat stuff we're getting into now. We're going to kind of get through the, uh, this, this chapter is going to run us down through the end of the tribulation period. And I've already showed you repeatedly, and we're going to show you again because we go through it again in the book of Revelation. But by the time you get down to the end of this chapter, you come to the end of the tribulation. And you're going to wind up in, the, in Armageddon. But uh, some of you, no matter how much, how long you've been in church or how good your eschatology is, your doctrine of end times is, uh, some of the things in here as you study the Bible, you might be able to add a little bit to what you already know. And for those of you that haven't been through this stuff before, just be patient, get what you can get, keep coming, keep reading your Bible, and as time goes on, it'll make more and more sense. Uh, if you could master this stuff in a couple of years, wouldn't that be a drag I mean, it'd be a drag, wouldn't it? <laughs> this stuff has to deal with your eternal soul and with the work of God. And I'm glad God wrote the Bible like he did. It's exciting to me. I enjoy studying it. I've spent, I mean, I can't even, I counted years ago when the estimate was 15,000 hours, and that was years ago, uh, just in Bible preaching and Bible teaching and Bible school and personal Bible reading, personal study. And the more I study my Bible, the more awesome it gets. Uh, but the key to it, the key to it, the key to it, I'm telling you that here's the trick. You want the key to it. The key to it is the Lord. It's the Spirit of God. If you really want the truth and you want God to keep speaking to you out of that Bible and to keep that Bible fresh, that Bible will be fresh. You've got to keep a teachable spirit. The best black belts in the world keep a white belt mentality. And I know some of them personally. I've met Andre Galvo face-to-face, shook his hand because he was the one that trained my coach, and my coach was three-time world champion. Best black belts in the world, and they have a white belt mentality. They're always learning, and they stay humble, and they keep a humble attitude, and if they don't stay humble, they get humbled. So stay humble and keep a teachable spirit, and God will give you stuff out of this. Let's pray, and we'll get going. Father, I love you tonight. Thank you for these people. Thank you for this book. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for giving us a great day. And Father, I pray as we get into the Bible now that your convicting power and your teaching power, the anointing of the Holy Spirit that teacheth us these things, would be with us. And that you'd open our minds and hearts to the Word of God and help everybody in this room from the youngest kids, Lord, that are sitting here under the sound of my voice that probably struggle at young ages with paying attention. They're probably in and out, Lord, but that's understandable. I pray your Spirit would just stick them with the truth of the Word of God, with the sword of the Spirit. And stuff would stick in their soul, Lord, that would stay with them the rest of their life. And that they'd not be able to escape this stuff. And for the oldest Christian that's been here the longest and everybody in between, God, I pray you'd give them something from the Bible. Give them a love for this book. Help their faith in the Bible to be strengthened. Help them to realize that this thing is what life is all about. That they can't build a good life without your word. Not anything that matters. Not anything that outlasts the brevity of their life. And help us to fall more in love with this book and, and, and more in love with the Savior that gave it to us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Oh, and Lord, by the way, if somebody is here under the sound of my voice tonight that's not saved, God, please help them to realize how important it is that they get saved before they spend eternity in the lake of fire. 
help them to realize the stuff ain't anything to be played with. That we're not here playing church and playing religion. But that you got answers for them in that book, in the Bible, and they can build their faith on something real. And that they can know Jesus Christ as their Savior. They don't have to leave here lost. They can know for sure when they leave here that they're on their way to heaven. They can understand what it means to have the guilt of sin taken off of them and help them to get a hold of that tonight. Convict them even right now as I'm praying. I ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, we left off in verse number 12. The Bible says, here is the patience of the saints. Revelation 14, right? I tell you that already? Revelation 14, verse 12. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus Christ. So, notice there's two components to their salvation in this verse. In verse number 12, it's faith plus works. The patience of the saints. And here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus Christ. Now, hang on a second. Doesn't that go directly against Ephesians 2, 8, and 9? For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. There's none righteous, no, not one. So in this dispensation, in the time period that you're living in, as most all of you understand, but you've got to bear with me for a second. In the time period that you're living in, salvation has nothing to do with your works. It has everything to do with the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. He did everything it takes for you to be saved. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. So salvation in this day and age has nothing to do with your good works outweighing your bad works. It doesn't have anything to do with your faith in Jesus Christ and keeping the commandments of God. Didn't Jesus Himself point that out to you, saying, when if a man look on a woman to lust after her, he committed adultery already in his heart? You know what His point was? His point was not man, one man around hasn't committed adultery. That was his point. Hello. Oh, by the way, ladies, the same applies to you, mankind, okay? So don't be like, yeah, all those men, they're all a bunch of dirty pigs. You ain't any better. That was the point he was making. Sorry, preaching a little bit there. I'm supposed to be teaching tonight. Can't help it. The Bible naturally preaches itself, you know? I'm trying to chill and lean on the pulpit and relax, and it just comes out, you know what I mean? So salvation... And this dispensation is by faith in Jesus Christ alone. It doesn't have to do with the church, man. We had people join the church this morning. We got another one going to join next Sunday morning. I wasn't, I wasn't 100% sure if she was ready or not, so I checked with her after the service. She said, I'm waiting for you. I'm like, uh-oh. She probably thought I was going to have her stand this morning, and I had somebody else stand. So I was just listening to the story going, I don't think that's me. <laughs> but, uh, but what a blessing, man. I love it when people join the church. You realize you can be a member of this church on the church membership roll. Be faithful, tithe, come regularly, sign up on the cleaning schedule and work the nursery, sing specials and preach messages and fall off that church pew straight into a pit of hell. Your salvation ain't wrapped up in church membership. There's some denominations out there that teach you. The real teaching is, if you dig down, the real teaching is that anything, if you're not a member of their church, you're going to hell. Chapter and verse, please. Where do you get the authority to say that kind of stuff? Well, when they don't have authority from the Bible, what they'll do is they'll say, well, church tradition. Well, the church fathers say, well, it's been passed down from generation to generation. Says who? How do you know that stuff ain't? How do I know what you're saying is true? History's been rewritten so many times, and history really depends on the author writing history. Because, you know, there's all kinds of debatable history out there. 
You got to be super careful when you read that stuff. You know, the only thing I know God promised he'd preserve from this generation forever, it's right here. So you put your faith in whatever you want because you think you're smart or the person you got your faith in is smart or you got your faith in them because you like the way they make you feel or any of the rest of that stuff. You go ahead with that garbage. I'm putting my faith in what God said. Amen. So we believe the Bible. And God says that salvation right now is by grace through faith. But when you come to this passage, he says, here's the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. I showed you last week, if thy eye offend thee, pluck it out. If thy foot offend thee, cut it off. If thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It's better to be, enter into life halt and maimed and blind than it is to go through life healthy and be cast into the lake of fire. Well, does your eye offend you as a Christian? Sure it has. Has your foot offended you as a Christian? Sure it has. Has your hand offended you as a Christian? Most Christians I know after they got saved, especially if they got saved later in life, struggle with getting some stuff right. And they do some things after they were saved that were, that were addictions or hang-ups from before they were saved, and they shouldn't be doing it. Go to the book of Hebrews, please. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. I want you to see verse 26. So Paul tells you that, that if, we, if we deny him, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. And he says that by the circumcision made without hands, which is the circumcision of your spirit away from your flesh that you're sealed by that same Spirit under the day of redemption. Right? It says that if you go to the judgment seat of Jesus Christ and all your works burn up because they're, 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 they're wood, hay, and stubble, they're all dead things that represent the flesh. It says, yet he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Right? And there's this entire segment, and I'm in it, of Christianity that says, once saved, always saved. And then there's a whole bunch of a segment of, quote, Christianity, unquote, whether saved or not, God's the judge, I don't know. But there's a whole segment of Christianity that says, well, yeah, you get saved by grace through faith, but then if your works don't see you through, you can lose your salvation, right? Do you know that they go to the Bible to get proof for what they believe? Now, we don't believe in changing our Bibles, right? You're in Hebrews chapter 10. Look at verse 26. I'm going to ask you some questions as we go through this now. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth. Have you received the knowledge of the truth? Yes. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. All right? Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the So you heard what the Bible said about your soul, that you're a sinner. What the Bible says about hell and because the Bible said it, you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ based on the truth, which is his word, and he is the truth. And so you put your faith and trust in him based on what the book said to get saved. You've received the truth, right? Yes. All right. Since you've received the truth, have you willfully sinned? Yes, sir. Now watch this. There remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. The condition is that if we sin willfully... After we received knowledge, there's no more forgiveness. But a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sorer punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God 
and hath counted the blood of the covenant, wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the spirit of grace. And you receive the spirit of grace? It's unmerited favor. You don't deserve it. You received it, right? And you've sinned willfully when you know God didn't want you to do it. He said you're trodden underfoot the Son of God, counting the blood of the covenant, whether you're sanctified an unholy thing. You know how many saved people live like the devil? I've said it before and I'll say it again and I don't apologize for it. And if you don't understand it, please don't write me off. Please ask and give me a chance to explain it. But let me say it for shock value to make you think. You can live like the devil and go to heaven. (laughs) I couldn't believe I had some preacher from all across the country with a church that would just swallow this church up. You wouldn't believe it. Had the time and the energy to write me a big long email a few years ago and try to challenge me on why would you say that? I was flattered he even listens to a little old peon like me. <laughs> I was like, I'm too busy to answer him. How could you say something like that? Read your Bible, man. You know what the problem is? You don't understand rightly dividing the word of truth. That's what the problem is. Of course they can live like the devil, die and go to heaven. If they're saved by grace through faith, plus nothing, minus nothing, and they're sealed by the Spirit of God under the day of redemption, guess what? Some of them do die early and go to heaven. In the middle of sinning. Because he said, if you're a child, then I'll discipline you. Duh. Just because you're living like the devil doesn't mean you lost your salvation. It means you're not laying up any treasure in heaven. And trust me when I tell you, you're going to regret it. You understand the judgment seat of Christ. That's scary. You understand a thousand year millennial reign after that. That's also scary because what you're doing right now as a Christian in this day and in this age is literally positioning yourself for the thousand year reign of Christ. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. His pay, your payday is a millennium. That's a thousand years. But guess what? We'll see it when we get over there in the end of the book of Revelation. Eternity doesn't begin right after Gog and Magog when the new heaven and new earth comes down, where they're coming to eat from the tree of life. Eternity doesn't begin for somewhere between 22,000 and 100,000 years. You know what he says he's going to do? He says he's going to wipe away all tear from our eyes. That doesn't mean the second you die and go to heaven, tears are wiped away. I'll show you as we get there, when we go through Revelation, you're going to have a long time to regret not doing right for God in this little tiny three score and ten you got now. Sticking it out, doing right, and being faithful to God. So we don't believe once saved, always saved means we get to just live like hell with no consequences. We don't believe that. I'm going to try by the time we get to the end of Revelation to nail down to you the level of consequences that are coming. And I'm telling you, God sees your faithfulness in the here and now and watches what you go through and is going to reward you in such a way that's going to blow your mind how much I have not seen nor ear heard, neither entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. You can't even wrap your mind around how much God's going to bless you for doing right in this tiny little life you got. So we don't believe once saved, always saved, they live like hell and then they get zero consequences for our actions. We believe once saved, always saved, meaning he's going to seal us under the day of redemption and he's going to abide faithful and he cannot deny himself because he made us his body and we're his bride. And that's a special privilege that you and I have that wasn't in the Old Testament and that's not coming in the tribulation period and not even going to be in the millennium or beyond. Other people in other time periods don't have what we've got in Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful thing. It's a special thing that we get. Praise the Lord for it. And it's a great payoff. So it's not not like they position it. 
But I'm telling you right now, this passage is not applying to you. He says a certain fearful look at it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God in verse 31. You're not losing your salvation. Your salvation is entirely wrapped up in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want to say it one more time. You will regret not living for him on a level you can't comprehend right now. Paul said, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. I think when you're standing there and you got a full understanding finally and you look at the payoff that God had prepared for you, it's just a mind-numbing thing to imagine I got what? Not just a thousand years. Maybe 23,000. Maybe 34,000. Maybe 101,000. I'll show you where I get those numbers from later. It depends on how you define a generation and I'll show you the passages that are going to show you how long that thing's going to run until eternity future starts. Not only to regret it, but to weep over it and to wish I'd have done more for him. It's going to bring everything into perspective, boy. And I want, with the help of God, I want to give you that perspective now so that, boy, when you get there, you can just be there with joy, man. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, Paul said, to save people at the judgment seat of Christ. So don't buy this stuff that the once saved, always saved crowd believes that we can just go live like hell and that there's no consequences for it. I'm just telling you the consequences don't have to do with my eternal salvation. Is that making sense to you tonight? Look at the end of Hebrews chapter 10. Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them that draw back unto perdition, but them that believe to the saving of the... Draw back unto perdition? Oh, that doesn't actually mean damnation. That's what the Bible believers that believe once saved, always saved try to make all these passages not say what they say. So then you run into the people that believe you can lose your salvation, and then you try to not say, make the passage say what it says, but then they look at you and they say, well, I thought you were a Bible believer and don't believe in changing the Bible. Well, I don't. I'm not going to change the words. That's what it says what it says. Well, then why are you twisting the meaning? And you get into this endless cycles of debate and argumentation. A lot of saved people just misunderstand these passages of Scripture. They misunderstand Revelation 14, 12. They misunderstand Hebrews. I'm telling you right now, that's written to the... Yeah, Hebrews. <laughs> it's not a coincidence that all the books written to the church, to the church, to the church, to the church, tell you you're eternally secure. But when you come to a verse written to the Hebrews, you got a different plan of salvation. Why? Because the church is gone. You've been raptured out. So God's changing the way he's operating. The angels flying in heaven preaching the everlasting gospel. Fear God and keep his commandments. He's preaching a different gospel. Paul said, though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached, let him be a curse. And then you go over to Revelation and the angels flying in heaven preaching, directly correcting what Paul said in Galatians. So you better define the you he's talking to or the Bible's full of mistakes. That book's in your lap is perfect. It is beautiful and it all makes sense. But when you don't know how to rightly divide the word of truth, you get all confused and jacked up. And that's why people say, well, now we got to go back to the originals and define it. And like you're going to go enroll in school for 12 years to learn Hebrew and Greek. To learn it good enough to really dig down. Well, that makes you awful subject to a con man, don't it? Now you got to come and sit and say, okay, priest, you tell me what to believe and think because I don't know the originals. I, 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 don't, I just completely reject that line of thinking, and I think God would not do that to his people. He wouldn't do that to his bride. You're his bride. 
He wants you to know the truth, and he preserved that book for you right there in your lap so you can open it up and look and turn to the references with me and know whether or not I'm telling you the truth. Not a blessing. We're scared to say yes because you're getting so fired up. I hate that stuff. I want to see God's people strong in that book. I want you to stand. I want some of these kids to be up here preaching when I'm in, you know, pushing up daisies if the Lord waits. All right, I got more passages, but I'm not going to take you to them for the sake of time. Go back to Revelation chapter 12. So whenever you run into those problems, you've got to stop and recognize who it's speaking to. And what you have here in the tribulation period is the patience of the saints. I said 12, I meant 14, 12. Here's the patience of the saints. They keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus Christ. Verse 13, And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. They're getting butchered in the tribulation period. We've already seen a lot of passages on it. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors. Now watch this. And their works do what? You know your works don't follow you. They go before you. You're laying up treasure in heaven right now. Your works are going ahead of you. You're following it to the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. These people, their works follow them, and we'll see that as we get to the end of Revelation, where he opens up the books and judges them according to their works. All right, verse 14, And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. So what you have right here is you have an appearance of Jesus Christ, the angel of the Lord, an angel is an appearance. It says, like unto the Son of Man with a crown, and he's seated on a throne. So Jesus Christ in the tribulation period, right before the battle of Armageddon, right before the end, he makes an appearance to Israel. They see him. It's his angel in heaven. And he's got in his hand a sharp sickle. You know what you use a sickle for? To reap. Look at verse 15. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time has come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So what's happening is that the harvest of the earth is ready. Verse 16. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Go back to Matthew chapter 13, please. A lot of these passages get real confusing back here in Matthew and Mark and Luke specifically. John's not as confusing. It was written later. John had the full revelation. And so when John writes, most of the gospel of John is a perfect fit for the church age. But some of these other gospels, people get real confused in them. And the reason is because this stuff is... Jesus Christ coming and preaching to his people, and he's given them prophecy of the time period we're looking at in the book of Revelation. Most modern day preachers go through Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, and they think, you know, since it's in the New Testament, they preach it all like all of it's to you doctrinally. Now listen, when you go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, boy, you get a tremendous amount of spiritual application to our life. I love preaching through them and applying it spiritually to you. But when you study the doctrine of this, you've got to understand who it's talking to. You're in Matthew 13. Look at verse 37. And he answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. Watch this. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. But the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is... See it? The end of the world. That's what we're looking at in Revelation. 
So that just placed this passage doctrinally. Now you know where you're at. The reapers are the angels. Well, that's Revelation 14. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. So when it comes to the end of the world, God's going to gather up the wicked and burn them up. A son of man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and them that do iniquity, and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Skip down to verse 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore and sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but cast the bad away. So shall it be in the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Now, we already nailed that down last time, that hell is a literal lake of fire and a place of outer darkness and torments, plural, and weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth and conscious memory of the past. Conscious memory of the times you were under conviction and turned away from God. Little Maverick just naturally in here, he said, I said, do you know what sin is? And he said, yeah, it's any time that you... Don't do what God wants you to do or do what God told you not to do. It's like when you do what you not so... And he went like that. Nine years old. I said later, I said, did you realize you did that when you did it? He said, no. I said, you know what that tells me? I said, you're feeling in your heart, in your mind, in your stomach. You're feeling that you know it's wrong. That's a natural thing put in you. You recognize the guilt of sin naturally. So you got what you got over here is you got a bunch of wicked people on the earth sinning like the devil, turning God away, resisting the conviction. And when they get cast into the lake of fire for eternity, they remember every time they were under conviction and ignored it, every time God dealt with them and went ahead and sinned anyways, every time they heard the gospel and turned it away, every single time they'll remember it and wish to God I could go back and change it. I guarantee you one thing. I guarantee you one thing. The amount of people we've seen come through here and visit and the way we preach and show the truth, I will guarantee you the people that have rejected, this is my goal. I want to be so clear about the gospel and I beg God to be in this place and filling me and using me. I beg him and I try to stay in the Bible and preach the Bible so much. I guarantee you this breaks my heart to say there will be people in the lake of fire forever remembering my face and this pew and this church and some of your faces when they heard the gospel and decided not to do anything about it, not to look into it, not to just go ask them. I try hard to make sure people understand when I'm preaching, I'm preaching. You understand that? When I step down out of this pulpit, I want you to understand that I'm approachable. And if you're a female, you can come up and ask me a question and I'll get Miss Grace and we'll go into my office and I'll answer your questions. And if you're a male, you can come ask me. And even if you don't like me and don't agree with me and want to argue with me and all the rest of that stuff, that's fine. I'll be your friend, and I don't care how stupid you get. You could cuss me out and try to swing at me and all the rest of that stuff. I'm going to do everything in my power to be gracious and kind and smile and say, all right, man, forget it. Just let it go. I'm still your friend. 
Because someday when you hit rock bottom and God gives you another chance, I want to be the first face and first name that comes to your mind to come trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. I want to be there to help you. I mean it from my heart. I, I know for a fact some people will be in hell remembering my face. I sure hope it's not because, man, I wish that guy would have told me. I wish that guy wouldn't have worried about my feelings. I wish that guy would have just told me the truth. I want to make sure I tell you the truth. Hell's an awful place for eternity. And so what God's going to do is he's going to come and sever the wicked from among the just. Now, you've got to understand in the tribulation period, they're going to be doing everything they can to wipe out Israel. Have you guys seen what happens when them demon-possessed lunatics let loose on Israel? I said demon-possessed lunatics. Do you know that some of the... I, I know this one for a fact. Do you know that some of their religious leaders said that they're okay, religiously speaking, with their God, whatever that cotton-picking devil is that they worship, that they're okay with them to rape the women. That, that you know how psychopathic, I'm serious, I'm not playing around right now, I, I'm, I'm debating whether or not to tell you to stink and wake you up, but I want to be sensitive to mixed company. You cannot fathom the abominable thing those demon-possessed psychopaths were doing to those people. Now, what's the motive behind that? It has nothing to do with the Gaza Strip. They gave them a beautiful piece of land that they decimated. It was beautiful before those savages got in there. And they left them alone and tried to teach them, treat them civilized to show the whole world who they are. And look at what they did to them. I could care less what your political perspective is. The fact of the matter is, is that it's God's chosen people, and that's the issue. That's the same issue that demon-possessed psychopath Adolf Hitler had with him. That's why he was marching them through there and burning them. I don't care how much I hate you. You understand me? I don't care how much I hate you. I'm talking to you men. Man to man. I don't care how much I hate you. I could hate you so much that I... Okay, I don't care how much I hate you. The women and the children... The children, their God says, go destroy them. Go do unspeakable things to them. Boy, it just tears me up, man. How could a holy God send them to hell for eternity? How could he not? They know the truth and turn from it. Your conscience doesn't tell, your conscience doesn't tell you that your God makes it okay for you to have three wives but she has to stay faithful to you or you can cut her head off in the street. You stinking coward. You chicken. You selfish dog. Your conscience told you your God's a lying, filthy pig. Probably get shot for this stuff before long, but oh well. Go out telling the truth. Your conscience told you that. You know better. Your conscience tells you you shouldn't butcher a little kid for being a certain race. Stuff boils my blood, man. God's watching that stuff, and they said to him, his blood be on us and on our children. And he said, okay. And that's where the, the, the well, the, I guess you, I guess, God's always right, right? <laughs> so I guess that's where you'd say God's just just and right and letting the stuff happen to him. And he's going to let this thing go so far once you're raptured out of here where the whole world turns against Israel and pushes them to the brink of completely annihilating the nation and then their Messiah shows up. The Bible says in Revelation, they look on him whom they have pierced. <gasps> we killed him. And he shows up and says, I'm here for you. 
What a God, man. What a God. He ain't a God that says, die for me. He's a God that says, I died for you. Now, can you live for me? What a God. Their filthy God tells them that if they kill themselves in battle, after he fills them with opioids, by the way. You don't know the, under, the underlying story behind some of this stuff, man. It's innocent little Americans that just look at it and just read the news flash. They're just, you know, like, after they fill them full of, pump them full of opioids and tell them, young men, on top of that, don't worry, if you blow yourself up in battle, you get 70 perpetual virgins in heaven. What a base God. What a pig of a God. What a pig. Just to appeal to, just look at women like they're just a commodity. God says when he gets his bucket full, he's going to come back. He's going to come back furious. And he's going to send those angels to reap first. And the harvest of the earth is reaped in verse 16. That's what we saw in Matthew 13. Now the next time you read Matthew 13, you'll understand what's going on. It'll make a little more sense to you. Verse 17, another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, which had power over fire, and cried with a, loud, with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her, ripes are fully gra her grapes are fully ripe. Her ripes are fully grape. <laughs> That's not the first time I did it. I did it when I was studying. I was like, Don't do that in the pulpit, you idiot. And I literally just did it. <laughs> That's what happens when you spend all day talking, you talk too much. In verse 19, And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth, and gathered the vine of the earth, and cast it into the winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city, and blood came out of the winepress, even under the horse's bridles. Bridles. See the ES? By the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. One guy said 160 miles, somebody else said 191 miles. Up to the horse's bridle, filling the valley of Armageddon. So before, that's the second advent. That's when Jesus comes back. Now, we'll go over this in a little bit more detail later, but he comes out of heaven. He comes down on a white horse, and we're going to look at some passages here before we leave tonight. I'll run you through some references to show you some Old Testament passages that will make a lot more sense once you read them in light of this. So he's coming back out of heaven, and you and I are with him on white horses. And he comes down to the Mount of Olives. He stops. He gets off the mount. He puts his foot down on the Mount of Olives, and the mountain splits, and the earth shakes. And he hops back on that horse, and a sword comes out of his mouth. On his thighs written the word of God. A sword comes out of his mouth, a sharp two-edged sword. The sword of the Spirit, which is the... And on his thighs a name written that says the word of God. And it comes out of his mouth, and it starts chopping off their heads as they're assembling there in that valley to try to fight him. Angels have been flying in heaven. Moses and Elijah, as we've already saw, came, were killed, laid in the city in the hot sun because the earth is being scorched in that day and there's no rain coming down and it's all a mess and it's famine and it's desolate and their bodies are laying in the street. They're bloated, they're swollen, and they stink. And the spirit of life from God enters back into them after three days and stands them up on their feet. Locusts have come out of hell with hair like a woman and a body like a horse and a face like a man. We saw all that stuff and with the power to sting in their tails and flying around stinging them. And they're cursing God because it's hot, because the sun's scorching them. It's called global warming. 
I know you born-again conservative Christians don't believe in it because the liberals preach it all the time. It's not happening. It's stupid. It's so stupid. It's so stupid. It's called global warming, folks. <laughs> you know what they've been doing? They've been boiling that frog for a long time to get these kids ready for the tribulation period. So they'll be saying, look at what we've done to ourselves. Look at what we've done. We've got to fix this problem. We've got to fix this problem. We need a new king. And the Antichrist comes and says, I'll be that king. I can fix the problem. You understand how that's working? And they're shaking their fists. The Bible says they curse God. In other words, they know he's doing it. And rather than repenting, they say, forget you, blankety blank you, why are you doing this to us? Because the heart of the sons of man is fully setting him to do evil. And he comes back, gets off that horse, stands up there, the mountain splits, the earth shakes, he gets back on the horse and comes down into that valley, and that sword comes out of his mouth and just starts whack, whack. And they're launching every bomb they got, every rocket they got, they're shooting every, every weapon they got, small arms and everything else they got. They're trying to give everything they got to wipe out the Lord. I mean, if there's ships left, they're launching bombs, they're doing everything they can. And the Bible says you fall on the sword and you pull it out. You run up the wall. I told you a little, bit, a little bit ago, I mean, I think it's an awesome image, and I want these kids to remember it forever. So, I mean, it would be, like, so stinking cool to just be, like, you're running up to the battle, and the guy's coming at you to fight you, and you just take the sword before you get into it, and you just stab yourself, like, yeah! Like, woo! Because you can't get hurt by that stuff, and neither can he. I mean, when he came up in his glorified body, he just appeared in the room. There he is. And then he says, well, handle me. Spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me have. He's as physical as you and I are. I mean, you're, it's going to be as physical as this. And then just to stink and pop into the room like that. How fun would that be, man? I mean, I'm going to do it to the girls. I'm going to pop right into their mansion and be like, boom. <laughs> like, I got you, you know. And just go on again. You know what I mean? It's going to be great. So in that battle, you're going to be fine. You're going to be following him and watching what he does, and that sword's going to come out and start chopping off those heads, and that blood's going to flow, what is it, to a horse's bridle? Four feet, five feet, four and a half feet? Now, now look at some of these Old Testament references. Go back with me, if you would. Let's start in Deuteronomy 32. We'll run some references. We'll start back here and work our way through the Bible back to Revelation, and then we'll be done for tonight. Look at Deuteronomy 32. So make a lot of your Bible make a lot more sense if you know how to rightly divide the word of truth. So as you're reading these Old Testament passages, they'll make more sense if you've been taught your Bible systematically like we're trying to do. You'll get a lot more out of it. It'll be a blessing to you. Because you'll, you won't, what you won't do is you won't say, oh, that's not to me, so I didn't get anything from it. You'll understand the doctrine of it, and then you'll learn how to make spiritual application to your life. Watch this. For their rock... See the small r? You got a King James Bible, right? There's a small r. Is not our... Yeah. Look at the capital. Who's your rock? It's Jesus Christ, ain't it? They got a different rock. I've already showed you the passages. You know what they got in the tribulation? They got the Antichrist who comes and claims that he's Christ. What? I'm sorry, Deuteronomy 32, 31. If you were trying to sign to me, I just thought you wanted to beat me up or something like that. Uh, oh, okay. Um, yeah, I'm sorry, folks. Verse 31, thank you. Deuteronomy 32, 31. For their rock, small r, is not our rock, capital R. They got the wrong Christ. I've showed you who he is. 
I've showed you he sits on a throne and claims to speak ex cathedra, which is as Christ on earth. I told you that that hat that he wore, I showed you a few, a few weeks back that when you took the hats that they wore, that they did away with, because people, after the Reformation and all the rest of that, when the Bible started getting printed and put into the hands of the common man, the truth started getting exposed, and so they had to take that hat away, take the numbers off the hat. But when you ran the numbers on his hat, it was 666, sitting on a throne, claiming to be Jesus, claiming to speak as God on earth. Well, they got a different rock. And he comes up to bring peace and he's coming to bring, he's being a melting pot and he's bringing the religions together. We're sharing our common faith and we're all trying to get to the same place. And well, it's okay. You can go ahead and do your thing as long as you come here at the end of your ritual. And we bless, bless you in God's name and we do the whole sign of the cross and all that stuff. Peace. He comes to give peace on earth. And he gives you this sign. And you all think that's the peace sign. That ain't the peace sign. That's in the, in, the, in the military. That's a sign for attack. That's the sign of the bowman. That's a V for victory. That is a war sign. It's a peace sign nowadays. It's an upside down broken cross. It's a sign for witchcraft. That ain't a peace sign at all. That's a demonic symbol that's anti-Christ. Now you just, just try it. That rainbow ain't a sign of inclusivity and accepting all. That's a sign that you said you won't drown us out again, so in your face, God. It's a corruption of the truth. And the sneaky thing about it is he's so subtle as any beast of the field which the Lord God hath made that he takes enough truth to make people believe it and throws enough Bible at them to get them to take the bait. Their rock ain't our rock. Even our enemies themselves being judges. For their vine is the vine of Sodom and the fields of Gomorrah. I showed you, I think already, in Deuteronomy, the Bible says the Antichrist doesn't have the desire of women. He's a homo. He's going to be a homosexual. I'll guarantee it. Or an asexual. I'll guarantee it. Demon-possessed, man. It's Sodom and Gomorrah and their vine. You know a religion that focuses on drinking wine every service? Come on, man. You can't, you go, oh, you're making more out of it. No, I'm not. I'm running Bible references with you. I'm not giving you one website that I looked up of a conspiracy theory. I'm running the Bible on this stuff. And the more Bible you run, the more it exposes itself as to what it is. The guy today that gave us a coffee, man. I, it says he, him. Like, I knew you were a he, him, man. When I looked at you, you got a stinking woolly booger beard. You know, you're shorter than me and you're this big and you got this monster beard. And it's like, a, that is not a female become a man. That's definitely a he, him from day one. You know what I mean? Like when your mama had it, she's like, that's a he, him. There it is. Look at that. No doubt. He was born with a beard. Just, I'm telling you, he had back hair the day he came out of the womb. You understand what I'm saying? And then he, <laughs> Sorry. Not, not sorry. He had another one next to it that says, they, them. And I went over and I was sitting down there and I was thinking about that. Why would a singular individual put a, put a plural they, them on their lapel? I'm a man. I know I'm a man. No doubt about it. I know what I am. I'm a man. I'm a he, him. But I'm a they, them. 
Maybe, what's your name? My name is Legion, for we are many. I'm telling you guys, there's a wicked spirit, and there's a lot of them out there, and they're getting in them. And you look at them, and you think nothing of they, them, and you're critical. And Jesus, when he saw the demon act of Gadara, he said, man, come on. He came running to the Lord. He said, get out of him and leave him alone. I wonder if we could maybe see some of them say it. I'm just saying. Anyways, back here. He, he's, he's a different Christ. And he's a homo, or he's an asexual, or he's a bisexual, or something like that. But he doesn't desire women. And he claims to be Christ. And he sits on a throne. And he drinks wine. But he ain't your, he ain't your vine. It's a different vine. As the vine of Sodom. Fields of Gomorrah. Grapes are grapes of gall. Their clusters are bitter. It's alcoholic. Wine in the Bible can be grape juice or it can be alcohol. This one's spelling out what vine it is. It's not fresh wine, which is a freshly squeezed grape. Their wine is the poison of, of dragons and their cruel venom of asps. Is it not at the last it spiteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder? Proverbs? It's alcoholic. Uh... Is not this laid up in store with me and sealed up among my treasures? To me belongeth vengeance and recompense. Their foot shall slide in due time, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and the things that shall come upon them make haste. For the Lord shall judge his people and repent himself for his servants. When he seeth that their power is gone and there is none shut up or left, they are about wiped out. And he shall say, Where are their gods? Their rock in whom they trusted. They got nothing left. Uh, which did eat the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offerings. Let them rise up and help you and be your protection. They're about wiped out. He said, what, why don't you, what, you know, what have you all been serving for 2,000 years? You all been worshiping all kinds of stuff. Right now they're worshiping secular pleasure and money and success and power. That's what they're worshiping. The average Jew, Jew right now is worshiping that. The other ones are worshiping the Old Testament law and rejecting Jesus Christ as the Messiah. He's saying, call on those gods you're, you're relying on. Uh, verse 39, see now that I, even I am he, and there is no God with me. See the small g? We're all trying to get to the same place. Let's intermingle our faith. Let's join our faiths. Where do you get that? Not from a Bible. No, we're not joining hands. And I'm not going to the, to the ministerial association. It's not happening. Over my dead body. Sit around with a bunch of guys that don't even believe Jesus Christ is the only way. I'm not saying he's the only way. How's your church going past the Ryan? I don't know, man. Where'd you get that perm? Get out of here, you know? Like, <laughs> nothing to say to you. I don't get my fingernails done. I could care less how bad they look. I chew them down to nothing, you know? I mean, anyways, that was free. I don't know what that has to do with anything. Verse 39. There's no God with me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. Neither is there any that can deliver out of my hand. For if I lift, if I lift up my hand to heaven and I say, I live forever. Now watch it. I wet my glittering sword and make my hand to hold on judgment. I will render vengeance to mine enemies and will reward them that hate me. I will make mine arrows drunk with blood and my sword shall devour flesh and that with the blood of the slain and of the captives from the beginning of the revenges upon the enemies. Upon the enemy. 
know what that is? That's a second advent passage in Deuteronomy 32. He's telling Israel what he's going to do when he comes back. That's not all. Let's run through these real quick. Go to the book of Psalms, please. Psalm 68. I want you to see this one. This is a good one. You got just maybe five more minutes, I think? Okay. Psalm 68. I don't know why I get so wound up about trying to hurry up. You know, people go sit for... I mean, what, what is it total if you go to a, a game? If you go uh, to the tailgate before and then you sit there and get into the game and then the game goes into overtime and you're like, that was awesome! Because it went longer than you expected and then... You hang out after party, what's it, five hours? I can't believe he went past six. I know you're not like that. That's why I can say that stuff. If I said that stuff and you weren't like that, I'd get fired, but I'd probably say it anyways, knowing my nature. So, Psalm 68, look at verse 23. This is a pretty cool one. That thy foot may be dipped in the blood of thine enemies and the tongue of thy dogs in the same. That blood's going to run up to the horses. Remember I pointed out to you bridles, plural? Do you guys remember that? I specifically said that to try to draw your attention to the plurality of bridles. You're coming back with them. I'll show you when we get to Revelation 19. You're going to be sitting on that horse in the valley of Armageddon, and you're going to look down, and that blood's going to, your feet are going to be in blood. The bloody, don't worry about it. You can't get AIDS or none of the rest of that stuff. You're in a glorified body. It's going to mean nothing. Sarge, man, God, I knew it. Jesus, I just want to say, I knew Sarge was going to be here. Dogs do go to heaven. Amen. I got a couple that I hope are in hell, but you brought him back. (laughs) He ate my Bible. What do you expect? He's definitely going to hell. This one was not chosen, you know. And there's Sarge over there. (laughs) Your feet are going to be dipped in that blood. That's how high that blood's going to run when God comes back mad. You better be on the right side. All right, keep going. Go over to uh, Isaiah, Isaiah 63, just a couple more. So you're in Psalms, keep going, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations. You should be able to find Isaiah because it's a big book, so just start flipping through and slow down and you'll hit it. Isaiah 63, Isaiah 63, look at verse 1. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah. Chapter 63, verse 1. Who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Bozrah? This is that glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel, and thy garments like him that treadeth in the wine fat? I have trodden the winepress alone, and of the people there is none with me. For I will tread them in mine anger, and trample them in my fury, and their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments, and I will stain all my raiment. For the day of vengeance is in mine heart, and the year of my redeemed is come. And I looked, and there was none to help, and I wondered that there was none to uphold. Therefore mine own arm brought salvation unto me, and my fury it upheld me. I will tread down the people in mine anger and make them drunk in my fury. I will bring down their strength to the earth. You guys know a wine press was a great big, like a concrete thing with a, with a wall around the edge there. And they'd dump all those grapes in, in, the, in the middle of that wine press. And back in that day, those guys would wash their feet and their legs. And they'd get in the wine press and it had holes in it around the edge, around the bottom. And those holes would run out tubes into vessels. 
and they'd get in there after they washed their feet, and they'd... until the blood of that grape spread out and filled up those vessels. That's what he says he's going to do to their heads in the fury of his wrath. He's going to come start chopping those little ants like, I mean, just little demon-possessed, God-hating, Jesus-denying, Israel-hating bunch of freaks turning as Jesus. He's just going to obliterate them until their blood just fills that valley up. 160 to 191 miles of blood up to the horse's bridle. You talk about a powerful God. I just can't believe you talk about it. That's the God of the Bible. Go to Jeremiah, Isaiah, Jeremiah. Look at chapter 25. What a frightening thought. Jeremiah 25. So when you sit back and go, how could God be so? And why does God not take care of? And there's so much injustice in the world and all the rest of that. What's happening is the wine press and the fury of God is building up. And when his, the iniquity abounds and the, the iniquity of the Gentiles hits its full and God's head is cut full. In the meanwhile, his long suffering is there because he's not willing that any of them perish. He doesn't want to stomp one head. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, and he's holding himself back. <clears throat> Jeremiah chapter 25, look at verse 30. Therefore prophesy thou against them all these words, and say unto them, The Lord shall roar from on high, and utter his voice from his holy habitation. He shall mightily roar upon his habitation. He shall give a shout as they that tread the grapes against all the inhabitants of the earth. You know what he is? He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. You know what that lion's doing right now? He's speaking in a still, small voice. Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden's light. Come to me. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. And the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses. And he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. The joy we share as we tarry there, none other's ever known. He's trying to offer him salvation. And they're saying, get off me. I don't need your son. Get away from me. It's not wrong to be this, and it's not wrong to be that. And that's just what I am, how I was born. And I don't need God, and my good works all me. And I'm a good church-going person, and I give my money. And how dare you think that I'm going to hell? How could God send somebody like me to hell? I'm a good, moral, upstanding man. I'm a good woman, and I've been faithful to my husband all these years. You wouldn't know the burdens that I carry, and I'm still faithful to God. I don't need that. And he's saying, please come. I'm telling you, please come. I'm getting sick of this. Please come. I wouldn't provoke a God like that to anger. Zephaniah, testing your Bible knowledge. All right, just keep going to the right. If you get to Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, that's the end of the Old Testament. So find Malachi and just go back just a few books and you'll find Zephaniah. Zephaniah chapter 1. You ever read through these minor prophets and just feel like your mind's numbing out on you? Well, keep staying in church and learning your Bible and you'll read through these minor prophets and major prophets. You're like, man, this is exciting once you start to know what it's talking about. Zephaniah 1, look at verse 15. Oh, verse 14. Their great day of the Lord is near. 
It is near and hasteneth greatly. Even the voice of the day of the Lord, the mighty man shall cry there bitterly. A powerful man, stinking Navy SEAL, stinking killer man, the best of the best, fall on his face before God and bawl like a little girl bitterly. That day is a day of grief. Watch this. A day of trouble and distress. A day of wasteness and desolation. A day of darkness and gloominess. A day of clouds and thick darkness. So even the weather is going to be eerie and weird. The sky is going to be scary. Just the weather patterns are going to be bizarre. A day of the trumpet. An alarm against the fenced cities and against the high towers. And I will bring distress upon the men that they shall walk like blind men because they've sinned against the Lord. And their blood shall be poured out as the dust and their flesh as the dung. Neither shall their silver nor their gold be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. But the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy. For he shall make even a speedy riddance of all them that dwell in the land. You know why? Revelation chapter 19 and we're done for tonight. Go to 19. You know why? Because they're in his land. It's his property. He promised it to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Israel. That's his land over there. That's Canaan land. And he said, I'm going to drive them out, and I'm going to put you in. And when I put you in, no man's taking you out. And they've been working against God's system to try to get them out of the land. And things are shaping up behind the scenes politically, no matter what you think the rest of the world's doing. Things are shaping up behind the scenes politically to line things up for the Antichrist. I think we're getting close to a rapture because it's getting ready. They're going to want them out of the land. We're going to turn them into the world's enemy. And the whole world's going to turn on them and try to wipe them out, drive them off the face of the planet and get them out of the land. And God said, when I bring you back to that land, nobody's taking you out. That's my land. And I'm going to stomp every head that's in there that shouldn't be in there. And I'm going to put you in there. Because it's his land. You understand that? It's his throne in Jerusalem. He's going to sit on that throne. And David's going to be his prince over Israel. And if you're faithful now, you'll rule and reign with him for a thousand years in the millennium as kings with him around this planet while he sets up his government. You understand that's literal? He's got a literal government coming and he has positions for us in it. Ain't the Bible amazing? You think just showing up to church means nothing. Well, I'm really not the preacher. I just came. I'm just being faithful. He said, he that is faithful in least is faithful also in much. Some of you that never ran anything or feel like you amounted to anything in this life, which you did more than you realize you did, but some of you feel like you never did, he's going to say, oh, wait, I, I got a throne for you over here. I want you to run South Lion. I'm asking for Hawaii or something, you know. <laughs> Revelation 19. Look at verse 13. And he was closed with, oh, excuse me, back up to verse 11. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat on him was called Faithful and True. Man, thank God for that. And in righteousness he does judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and in his head were many crowns. And he had a name written which no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven... That's you and me. Followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he shall tread the winepress, remember I talked to you about that, of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. 
And he had on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's another account of what happens at the end of this chapter in Revelation 14. That's the winepress trodden without the city in verse 20 up to the horse's bridle. And you're going to be there. And I'm telling you, I'm done with this thought. I'm sorry I went longer than five minutes. I want you to leave you with this thought. At that moment, when you're sitting on one of those horses and you can feel that thing breathing. A real horse. Heaven's not like sitting around on cloud and strumming harps and you're a little baby in a diaper with little wings behind you. It's real. It's literal. And you're sitting on that horse and you look down and that blood's on your feet and you look over at your church family. I kind of think we'll probably be kind of like grouped together. I don't know. I like to think that way. I hope I do. I look over at Grace and you're still beautiful. I mean, I mean, you know. Be more beautiful than ever. The older you get, honey, the better you get. Like a fine wine, you get sweeter with time, you know. That horse is, and you're sitting there. Man, I can't believe this. We're setting up the kingdom. I can't believe he's finally, he's finally bringing justice to all of it. At that moment, you'll be glad that you didn't quit that you didn't let the pains and sorrows and heartbreaks and disappointments of this life cause you to be bitter towards God and get out of church. You'll be glad that you got up tomorrow morning and went to work because he told you to go to work. You'll be glad that you found time tomorrow morning to do your devotions. You'll be glad you were here tonight. It'll be worth it. All right, let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, we love you tonight. We thank you so much for giving us your book. Lord, I know I say that a lot, but I mean it from my heart. Thank you. I pray you'd dismiss us tonight with your blessings. Give your folks a traveling mercies home. I pray for those that have doctor's appointments tomorrow that you'd bless them and give everybody good news, Father. I pray and there'd be good results. And uh, we trust you no matter what you do, but we do ask you to please help us to hear good news. And I pray that you'd please bless each and every one of us. I thank you, Lord, for the day that you gave us today. And we pray, Lord, that it did not end. If somebody's here this evening and not saved, help them to get saved before they leave here tonight. We thank you for all you're doing. We ask you to bring us back on Tuesday. Give us a great service. We pray be here and minister to our hearts. Help us to come ready to say something about you and how good you've been to us. And then we pray, Father, that you to give us a blessed Thanksgiving. Help us to realize the meaning of it and to genuinely find something to thank you for, for all that you've done. You're worthy of it. We pray it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, you guys, you're dismissed.